Hi, everybody. Jerry here. Uh, before we get to my conversation with Nathan Nowak, I want to share an amazing thing that some friends of mine are doing, and it's Young and Ted Kim of the Soul Sausage Company. They primarily have done stadium and catering events, but as we all know, with the things that are going on, they too have had to pivot their business. And right now, they are actually doing something really, really fun and really, really amazing for our friends in the Los Angeles area. They are offering a make-at-home Korean barbecue set. Food Equals Family is the name of the campaign that they're doing. And you'll get a couple pounds of bulgogi, a bunch of great side dishes, and also a bottle of soju and a can of milk is. So if that sounds appetizing to you and you live in Los Angeles and you're able to pick up from their downtown LA location this and Fridays after that, please go to at Soul Sausage on Instagram, check it out, order yours. And oh yeah, we're giving one away. So after you listen to this episode, head back to the Instagram post for Nathan's episode, and we will share the details on how you can win or gift a Soul Sausage Korean barbecue family pack. Food equals family. I hope you enjoyed the conversation as much as I did having it with Nathan, an amazing guy with an amazing story. So without further ado, uh, here's my conversation with Nathan. Hi, everybody. Uh, welcome to another episode of Beer Asian Americans. Uh, we are continuing to talk to amazing people in our community, learning about their origin story, um, how they became that Dash American that most of us identify with. Um, Today, I am super excited to have my friend Nathan on the show. Um, Nathan and I go a little ways, little ways back. Um, our day five guest, or episode five guest, if you remember, was Paul Kim, who started the global movement called Collaboration that uh, brought so many of us together. And it is through that organization that Nathan and I had crossed paths. Uh, we both volunteered at a number of shows. Um, Nathan has captured the magical memories of so many weddings and so many events around Southern California. You see the pictures of his beautiful family right behind him there. Um, he's captured some beautiful moments of my own family. Um, but, you know, Nathan's story is, is so special and unique to me. And I, you know, when I thought about doing this show, he was one of the very first people that I really wanted to have on the show because I think he has a story that like so many others don't really uh, we don't share too much of, and so uh, really grateful for uh, him making time. Uh, we we are both fathers of uh, little tiny people, so we are recording pretty late in the evening here, almost 10 p.m. We are also very lucky to be both husbands of healthcare workers, so it is an interesting time for both, and I think if anything, uh, really provides a little bit more perspective to how we view the world and how we view ourselves. Um, hey, Nathan, thank you so much for making time uh, for the show. No, thank you, Jerry. Thanks for having me on. You know, one of the first things I always find curious is when I meet people who look Korean but don't have traditional Korean last names. So, um, you know, I, we can start there or, you know, um, tell us about Nathan Nowak in your own words. Yeah, it's, uh, it's a very common uh, uh, interpretation of when people meet me for the first time, if they've never seen my photo, they go, oh, your, your name totally threw me off. So, I mean, it's, it's, uh, uh, I mean, it, it's even when I hang out with my parents, uh, you know, my, so being adopted, uh, both my parents, my dad is German, uh, Irish and my 
mom is a uh, um, Czech German. And so we're all hanging out and people look at us and go, oh, so how do you guys know each other? Well, it's my parents. But uh, yeah, it's, it's a little bit of an identity thing that uh, yeah, it's gone uh, my entire life, I guess. Um, wh where's home for you? And how did you, I guess you just shared with us, you were adopted. Um, wh where did you grow up? So I grew up in Oklahoma uh, in a little town called Bartlesville. Uh, I was adopted at five and a half months old from Seoul. Uh, and then uh, South Korea came over pretty much right after I got adopted. And, uh, uh, you know, they, my parents raised me in Oklahoma for, you know, 18 years until I went to college. And what, what sort of town was Bartlesville, Oklahoma? Were there other folks that looked like me and you, a lot of those? Or, you know, what was the circumstances like? Other than my sister, who was also adopted uh, three years prior uh, to me arriving, uh, there was, I think, three or four other Asians in the uh, high school of 400 students. So not many. Yeah. Yeah, not many at all. I guess this could be a more general sense or general, you know, thoughts on, you know, your friends and other folks in the adoption community. Um, how, how did, and it must be so difficult. I, I don't know what that must feel like. So I, I don't want to make any sort of judgments, but, um, you know, what did your parents do to help you, you know, identify with, you know, your, your identity? Because obviously, as you just joked, you know, which I'm sure happens more often than you'd like. You know, people don't make the automatic assumption that that are your actual parents, the people that raise you and love you. Um, but on the flip side, you know, th there must be, you know, I, I hope that there is some consideration for, hey, you know, this is where you're from and this is how you came into our lives. And, um, you know, tell, tell me a little bit about how that was in your early childhood. Yeah, they, they were very open with with any questions I had about my history, my upbringing, my adoption. I mean, it wasn't a situation where I just you know, was told one day that I was adopted. I kind of knew that, that I didn't surprise. look like my parents. And so <laughs> I think, and you know, the moment I understood what the word adoption meant is when I started talking to them about it. And they always, uh, you know, were very open to any anything I, I had questions about. They weren't secretive. They, um, you know, they, I, I have the best parents, you know, I could have ever hoped for. Uh, it's been a, a great uh, uh, you know, family relationship. I've, I've heard horror stories about some adoption situations that were not uh, as, as kind as mine. But uh, so they, yeah, they, you know, they let me do research. They would talk to me about uh, all the, the moments and show me photos uh, when I first arrived. And that was, you know, that was great. That really it, it sparked a lot of interest. But, uh, um, but at the time, I mean, we didn't have the internet at the right. time, so everything was books. So right. I had an encyclopedia. Sure. I'm cu curious about that. I, I think, you know, if you are, you know, a younger adopted brother or sister of ours, you know, trying to find more about where you come from, whether it be Korea or anywhere else, you know, you, you get a cell phone or, you know, a browser and you can learn about as much or connect with people or, you know, certainly makes it easier to find people if, if you are on a search for your biological parents or whatnot. Um, when did you start seeking things that were Korean and was there a, a natural draw to it? Um, you know, I, I don't imagine, as you mentioned, the, the lack of Asian folks in Bartlesville, um, not, not a whole lot of Korean restaurants, um, yeah. right? So like, what yeah. was that, you know, tell me about that. Yeah, I, I didn't really know much about 
you know anything about Korean heritage or or um, the culture. I I kind of probably did the stereotypic thing where I lumped everything together in an Asian category. So Chinese food, Japanese food, you know, mm-hmm. it all was Asian. And so uh, I I sadly never had Korean barbecue until I actually came to to California. <laughs> so it was probably I'd say. Uh, a couple of years after I had arrived. Uh, so I'd say probably 2003, 2004. Uh, so I was well into my 30s when I was, you know, <laughs> had Korean barbecue. Hey, be, 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 better late than never, right? Better late I know. Than I, I, I was sad I had missed all those years. <laughs> of having, but, and look at uh, all the good so, meat in Oklahoma, right? Like it's beef country. So yeah, gotta, all I had was steak though steak potatoes you know chicken fried steak barbecue same same cow just cook it differently right um um tell me about your 20s um what did you study in school and what did you want to be and yeah how how was that like so uh, you know i always loved computers so ever since computers actually started you know coming out we we had one as uh, as a kid and then the school started getting them and i just really enjoyed computers so my first instinct was to go to school and become like a computer science major and start programming. And I really wanted to, to do, you know, anything that had to do with that because I loved video games. And so I think in the back of my head, I was like, I was going to develop a video game or work for a video game company, you know? And, and so uh, I, I went to Colorado State University and got into the co- uh, computer science department and started learning. But Quickly did I find out that uh, it was very tedious and boring and I didn't like it. So I kind of switched majors into the business administration category, but still with an emphasis in computer information systems. Uh, And so that's where I pretty much took it. And, 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 you know, that's really when, when computers really were booming at that point. I find it fascinating that you ended up doing engineering anyway, because you know, the, the stereotype goes, you know, Asian parents always nudge us or pressure us or guilt us into, you know, one, one of three things on, on the, on the menu of jobs. And um, if you deviate and become a photographer or, you know, a guy that makes podcasts, like it's off the menu. Um, I, I find it, you know, almost comical um, that even without the, the traditional parent pressures of pushing you to engineering, that's what you ended up choosing. Um, so perhaps maybe it is genetic. I don't know. Yeah. Just kidding. There's it's not genetic. Of, it's not oh, genetic. Guys. There's, a yep. lot of, there's a lot of things that I've fallen into a, a stereotypic category of, of being Asian. Uh, I, I drove an Acura Integra. I, I played <laughs> table tennis since I was like competitively since I was 16. Wow. Uh, so yeah, I even went to the nationals and everything for table tennis. So That's was, pretty cool. Yeah. Not to, to fall into that stereotype, but I did. So I liked I, it. You know, some, some people believe uh, cells and, you know, DNA have memory. So it might actually not. I, I can't explain the Integra thing. That, that's all on you. But um, <laughs> but yeah, I, fascinating. I mean, so um, now you are a, a very successful, you know, entrepreneur in the creative world here in Southern California and beyond, you know, in the world of photography. Um, you know, I, I don't imagine you graduated from Colorado State and just started taking pictures. Um, tell me, what, what did you do initially and then how did it evolve into your chosen field now? Yeah, so I, I, the first job that I got out of college uh, after applying to tons of 
different types of jobs in the computer field or just the, the business networking sides of things. Uh, I landed a job with a friend actually doing DVD production. And so the, the DVD production was, uh, was starting out with, uh, you know, all different types of, of, you know, movies or corporate reels or, you know, things like that. And I, uh, got a job actually an offer here in California and that's what brought me out here. Uh, so I came out, was doing some teaching for DVD, but then also programming and, uh, uh the, the multimedia industry was just, you know, growing so quickly. So I, I stuck with that for about six years until that shifted more toward uh, high definition, Blu-rays and also digital. And that's kind of where I tapered off and started looking at other things. Um, did you always have a love for photography or was that something you fell into as you grew up? I, I have always loved photography. Uh, funny enough, my dad is actually a hobby photographer. Huh. Uh, so he, back in the day, he actually did black and white film development in our basement. And so I, I used to think that was really cool and, and different, but I, I, you know, I wasn't as interested in that side of things, but uh, my dad's a chemist. So he had all the chemicals that could, to, that he used to develop it. So, uh, he, uh, you know, that it was an interesting thing that he did. My mom's also an artist, so she paints. So the combination of, of photography and art, I, I don't know, maybe I got some of that through osmosis or something, but it, uh, uh, for some reason I started doing some photography in college, not thinking I would do it as a career, but just doing it as a hobby. Awesome. Um, I, I, I mean, I, good choice, right? Cause, um, you know, we, we, we still look at regularly the photos you took of, you know, the three of us, um, uh, about a year ago and, um, you know, the amazing memories that, that you have brought. Um, I want to ask a question about your reconnection with your family, which you shared about publicly and, um, you know, you had the great fortune of reconnecting with your siblings. Um, a few years ago, um, sh share with us about that experience. How did it come about? And, um, and I, I guess, was it something that you sought out or how did that happen? So it's one of the things you kind of previously asked me about how my parents were about, you know, my adoption and how open they were. They, they have definitely never said, you know, I couldn't look for my family or, um, restricted any information from me. They've always been very open. And I was always kind of like, I, I have no need. I didn't really want to search uh, for my family. I had such a good family already mm -hmm. that it, I wasn't missing anything. I wasn't looking for, um, you know, a missing puzzle piece. Uh, and so I, I just never looked. And then all of a sudden in 2014, I had actually seen a documentary about uh, a uh, Korean rapper, Korean American rapper, uh, Dan Matthews. And he had a story, uh, a documentary called AKA Dan. And I went to the premiere of that. And as I was watching it, I just, I connected with his story and I said, yeah, that's actually, there's so many things about that, that I thought, oh, this would be really cool if I actually did search out, you know, my, my family just for the heck of it. And for the, um, the medical reasons and just to, to finally maybe just do it. And so my wife pushed me a little bit too. It's like, you, you should do it. You know, it's medical history. And so I, I decided, okay, let me, let me just look for, uh, you know, 
see what happens. And so I did, I connected with the adoption agency and that's where I started and, you know, to just ask, okay, what's the process? And what was the process for you? Was it physically going to Korea and, you know, having that first meeting or what was there a touch point before you, you made the journey? So it was, it was, you know, pretty basic uh, as far as the starting point, they give you a packet and say, fill out all this information. They wanted to find out a, what your reasons or finding the family were, uh, B, they wanted to make sure you were emotionally capable of handling it because there could potentially be some outcomes for searching for my family that they didn't want to either be liable for, but they also wanted to be uh, concerned for my safety as well. And so they, they made sure to, you know, cover everything. I mean, they covered topics that I didn't even think about. Um, you know, of course there was, you know, the, the, the most common that I would think of is that you want to connect with your family uh, and then you find out that they don't want to connect with you. Right. So that would probably, you know, the, that feeling of rejection would be kind of maybe tough for some people. So I filled out all the answers, you know, to the best of my ability and, and I was you know, ready to do it. It wasn't expensive to do it. And they did give you a realistic number. They said about 10% of the people who look will, will find some information. Uh, the other 90% won't get anything back. That's very low. Is that a a systemic lack of ability to connect with people from 20, 30 years ago, or is that, and if the other side says no, they just chalk it up to, you know, unsearchable or unfindable. I think it's a lot of those reasons. Um, they also said there's, uh, there's a lot of, uh, I guess, bad record keeping too, uh, from back in the day. So, uh, there was stories, for example, I had heard a few stories that when, um, some kids were dropped off to the adoption agencies, they were just dropped off on the doorstep. So they didn't really have any clue or any history or anything. And so they didn't have names. Sometimes they just would make up names of the individuals with whatever nurse or person found the, the child that was their name. And so, yeah. You know, I, I, um, there, there's somebody else in, in our mutual network, um, Professor Sarah Park Dahlin, um, who, who went to UCLA from LA and, um, is a very vocal proponent of sharing adoptee stories. And, you know, so, so something I learned um, by hearing a conversation she had was, you know, just the context of transnational adoption out of Korea um, to basically the middle of America um, in the 70s and in the 80s that just made it really, um, I, I hate to use the word popular, but it became more of a thing than it had ever been before. And, and, and so, you know, I, I find that the context extremely helpful um, of, of when and how this happened because it wasn't, you know, I, I believe there was at least in the state of Minnesota, an organization um, that really pulled for uh, local families in the Minneapolis area to start adopting children out, out of Korea. And, and so that's why there's a, a pattern or at least um, a, some sort of density of Korean American adoptees or Korean adoptees in Minneapolis. Um, and, and so you went to Korea to meet your siblings? Did you get a chance yes. to talk to them before? So, so once I set up all the paperwork and made the first connection through them, uh, the reply actually came back fairly quickly. I think it was maybe a month or so oh. before the, the reply came back that they had found something. I just, I remember getting the phone call and they said, 
are you, are you ready for this? And I was like, yeah, they go, we, we contacted the agency and they contacted the last known address and um, your brother responded. And I was like, oh, wow, okay. And so they go, so you have a brother. And I was like, great. And you also have five sisters. So I, I had found out that I was the seventh uh, child, the youngest sibling, and they had all been waiting to hear from me. Wow. And so they had actually searched on their side, but it was a closed adoption. So there wasn't anything they could do to find me uh, that I had to be the one to open the, the file. And so once that happened, they, and then they jumped on it as quickly as possible to send as much information back to me to make sure that I knew that this was my family. And so the first thing they sent back was a photo of my brother, my parents, and uh, my brother's wife. Uh, and the, the photo when after seeing it was like, yep, that, that's, 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 me. My, <laughs> that's my family. Because it, it, my brother looked like a little bit older version of me in, in the photo. And uh, it, was, it was uncanny and surreal. So, uh, so from that point on, it was like, okay, let's start connecting. So the, the agency, uh, which is Dylan International, they actually acted as the mediator for a while. So they made sure that uh, everything was kosher and nothing was going to be getting weird. It translated for me, which was another thing. Uh, my family doesn't speak any English and I don't speak any Korean. So they had to make sure to translate properly. And uh, everything went well for the first month. And then finally, they told me that uh, my youngest sister uh, was coming to the United States, to Los Angeles, and she wanted to meet me. And so they sent, this was 2015, and they sent me the contact information of what, how to get in contact with her. And uh, she helped, uh, she used a translator, one of her friends who actually spoke English, and we translated on where to meet, when, and so that that was it. So I went to, to the Staples Center area and we met up and that was the first, again, first time meeting a biological family member. And instantly I, I looked at her and I was like, yep, she, she kind of looked like a female version of me. <laughs> and, and so, yeah. Was it as dramatic as they make it seem on Korean TV? For, uh, it, it had, I was, you know, more along the lines of just kind of taking it slowly. I wanted to see them. I, I knew that I wouldn't be able to, to say too much, but it, it was still really exciting. I mean, it was very, uh, um, just again, surreal to me. It was like kind of a reality show. Uh, the more I thought about it, and this is something that later when I actually met the rest of my family, um, that I kind of didn't realize that I had just found out about them four or five months earlier, um, but they had actually known about me for the last 40 years. So for 40 years in anticipation of trying to find me and wait for me, they, uh, they finally accomplished that and found me. Whereas for me, it was a little bit like four months. So I, I think it was a different feeling from both sides. Yeah. And, and I could, uh, I could see that in their eyes after each, uh, each of my siblings, after meeting them, you could see that they had all just, they had this like, I don't know, this feeling of like, wow, I can't believe, you know, we finally found you. Kind of yeah. thing, so. What did you guys talk about? <laughs> well, so the, I know I didn't want to go too 
like deep into the family history when I first met my sister because I was just meeting her for the first time. I right. didn't want to go, hey, so why was I adopted? <laughs> uh, so I tried to tread lightly, talk about the family. What do they do? What, what is everyone, you know, how old is everybody? Uh, kids, do I have, um, you know, uh, nephews and nieces? Uh, so it was, you know, it was very basic at first. I, I found out without asking that one of the first things that she said was that my oldest sister, uh, who at the time, I guess, is like 20 plus years older than me. Uh, yeah, so she's, she's um, in her late 60s now. She had a son 10 days after I was born. And so wow. that's one of the reasons why I didn't stay with a family member is because she was the oldest daughter, which normally probably would have taken me. Uh, was having her first son and she couldn't take both kids and it just wouldn't have been financially possible or even you know she was in her 20s and she's having her first son so uh, so she had her son 10 days after me and then um, I was put up for adoption mainly the reason that they told me was financial reasons back in the day of course Perea was uh, was a little more in poverty and they just couldn't afford to keep to keep me so uh, so they, they, she raised her son and, but they always, when they celebrated his birthday, thought about me because it was so close to when I was born. So, what is the age gap between you and the, the, the closest, the, the sister that you met in LA? So then my next youngest sister is seven years older than me. Okay. So there's still a, a decent age spread there. It wasn't yeah. like everybody's clumped together and then 20 years later, boom, here comes Nathan. So everybody was pretty clumped together from her up, but yeah. I was the only one that was probably a surprise. So, um, uh, yeah. Okay. So that, that could be also one of the other reasons. I think my parents were already in their fifties probably mm. at that time. And, and so you're, you're going through this, you're out here in LA with your wife, um, obviously emotional, new, um, something that you, you may or may not have expected to go through at some point. Um, we're, we're, uh, your, your parents from Oklahoma involved in this process and did you, you know, share as much and, and how did they support you in that way? Yeah, they were very excited to hear about all the stories and, and see pictures. Uh, they, they, again, they knew from the moment I, I did the search uh, through the agency, they knew the moment I found something, they, they saw the photos, they, uh, they were always involved. I always, I'm very open with my parents. I talked to them, you know, Currently, because of our our situations, we I'm talking to them almost every day. But you know, you know, it's, it's still I talk to my parents fairly frequently, just because it's because of my parents and I'm really close to them. But uh, so they were very excited for me, and uh, you know, they they one of the things that they uh, they were fortunate enough to do is also uh, after I guess the timeline here. So I, I met my sister, and then that was in 2015. Uh, two years later in 2017 is when I actually went to Korea. I finally had the opportunity to go out there. Um, and I'll tell you a little bit about that. But yeah. shortly after that, uh, my brother actually came here that same year for my son's first birthday. Wow. And so my, my brother and his wife came. But my mom, my dad, and my sister were here also for that. So my brother actually got to meet my parents That's and my so sister. Cool. And that, that was a, you know, 
kind of a, another thing that I really enjoyed seeing was including my parents right. in meeting, you know, somebody from my biological family as well, not just me, you know, meeting them. And uh, it was, there was a lot of emotional moments when they were here. Uh, one of them, which I didn't really understand at the time, but apparently they, they uh, uh, wanted to show my parents respect for raising me. So they, they got on their knees, hands and knees, and went all the way down to the floor and did a, a really, I guess, a very deep bow to them. And just, they gave my parents presents, they gave me presents, they gave my sister presents. I mean, uh, it was just a very interesting uh, thing to see. And again, our communication was very limited. So I luckily had a friend who spoke Korean, and so she came over, and I had her here pretty much for a day uh, she actually came back even, but she helped translate for like two days. And it was just, uh, you know, amazing to see all of the stuff that, that everyone talked about. You know, as, uh, as, as a friend connected to you on Facebook, I, you know, saw the, the pictures that you shared and, and sort of, you know, from, from a distance and, um, I, I was happy for you, man. I, I it's, you know, I, I think it's, um, those of us, so many of us never even think to think about that, right? We, it is, it is a privilege, an actual privilege that so many of us, even myself through most of my life that you don't even think about that you just take for granted that it's not even a thought. Um, and, and I know, like you said, the, the overwhelming majority of folks, um, whether they want to or not, don't have an opportunity to connect. So, um, and so you, you go to Korea and obviously them and their, you know, uh, your, your family and the extended family are, you know, it's sort of a, a homecoming feel. Um, yeah. Take me through that. How was, what did you do with them? Um, what did you learn about yourself? Yeah. So that was, it was, I was excited to go. Uh, I had no expectations, but at the same time, I actually had no clue what was going to happen. So I was just going in and I was in their hands. So whatever they had planned, I was going to do, but there was no communication about what was happening. And so uh, I, I kind of was a little confused when I got there at first, but the, um, one of the first things they did uh, when I got there, other than handing me flowers and crying a bunch, uh, was they took me to go eat. <laughs> so, you know, that's a very big thing. And so I was very happy to sit down with them and, and have a meal. And they, you know, showed me, you know, what all the dishes were, and uh, uh, it was, uh, you know, it was a, it was a good meal. I really enjoyed it. And then from there, they took me to. Uh, it, here's where the translation part came a little bit uh, difficult. We were translating for the three days I was in Korea through an app on my phone and on his phone. So I would speak in English and it would translate to Korean and they would do the same thing. They would speak in Korean to their app and it would translate to English. And so we would, we would just go back and forth like this and try to read what the other person was saying. I say, I think it was about 70% accurate. <laughs> there was a lot of moments where they would say something and it, it would show it to me and it didn't make a, a, any sense at all. And I could tell that sometimes I would say something and I'd show it to them and they just had a blank look on their yeah. face too. And like, eh, I couldn't get, so we had to, to kind of communicate in very simple, like yes, no questions sometimes, um, short answers. 
uh, you know, in kind of the, the, the grammar that you would speak to a two or three year old, yeah. you know, <laughs> but, it, but it worked yeah. for three days. We still learned a lot and we still had a connection, um, you know, through all the experience that, that they took me through. Um, but the first one that I remember mainly that was confusing was they kept telling me they were, um, you know, they were going to take me to a, uh, wasn't a hotel. Um, it, essentially, they were going to take me to a, uh, um, a, like an Airbnb, but the word wasn't coming out like correct. And it was like, I kept going, what, what are they talking about? Where are we going? And yeah. it was like two and a half hours outside of Seoul. Mm. So again, I didn't know why we were going there. Um, and so later they explained that, that the reason we were going that direction was because we were going to go past the grave sites of my parents. Mm. That was one of the first things they really wanted to do. Yeah. So, and so, uh, yeah. I think looking back um, in your lifetime of when you could have met your, your siblings, it came at a time when you were becoming a father, you had become a father. Um, and then now, you know, um, you have three. Um, how, how did meeting your parents and, and reconnecting with the biological roots, um, did it shift your thinking of how you wanted to raise your children in, in terms of, you know, their, their identity as a NOAC, but also as, you know, somebody whose dad now just had reconnected with his siblings. Yeah. Uh, again, I've had such a close relationship with my parents, uh, you know, over the years already that, that I have a good sense of family. And that's, that's a very important thing to me. And by meeting my biological siblings, it just increased mm -hmm. uh, my family, but just on a different side of it. So it's the Korean side now, um, but it's still a, a family emotion and connection. And I, uh, I definitely want that to be very important to my kids. And uh, one of the things that I, that we did when we did visit the graveyard, uh, uh, the grave sites for my, my parents is, uh, you know, it made me realize that that, that was very important to do because I wanted to do that anyway. But this was the first time that all of the kids and the parents were together. This, you know, this of 40 years, this, is the moment that we were all together. And they showed me the grave, the tombstone. There was actually a space on the tombstone because they put all the names of the descendants on the tombstones. There was a space for my name. They had, you know, they had kept it open. So after all these years. Are you gonna go back and put your, your son's names on there as well? Mm-hmm, yeah. They discussed that, that they wanted to add both my name, you know, Allison's name, and then my kids, too. And That's so, beautiful, man. That's, uh, yeah. I, I, this is a story that I think um, most of us need to hear, but we don't hear enough because every story is so unique. The circumstance in which, you know, our, our brothers and sisters were adopted and where they ended up and how did that impact their identity? Um, you know, I, I can't imagine growing up, you know, as the one of handful of Asians in Oklahoma in the seventies, like it's hard now being Asian in this country. Um, I, I, I think you are 
brave for for sharing and even you know wanting to um because you, you and i had talked about it you know is this something that you wanted to share or you know um i i find it extremely humbling again going back to the things that so many of us take for granted which is we just always grew up eating korean food right like we just know customs and words and you know things that we equate to uh, something we were born with almost and then to you know meet so many great friends personally um, who are who have a different korean american experience and that's amazing and beautiful because who says there should be only one so i i just want to thank you for for sharing your story i think it's awesome um you know you you are really one of the the best guys that i've gotten to meet you know through collaboration and yeah. through everything always helpful and always you know being the connector and everything and um it's it's been amazing and it's been beautiful so so thank you yeah you're welcome thank you yeah I, there, there's no good way to segue from that conversation um but i, I do want to touch light on you know you as a creative entrepreneur um, you own a number of different photography-related businesses. Um, you are on your own. Um, and given all that's going on, there's, there's so many different elements to what we are experiencing here uh, as a result of the coronavirus. Um, one is obviously the economic impact. Um, I guess even before that, it was just a social impact of um, events were being canceled. Um, you know, your, your revenue stream and your clientele you know, big in the event space, whether it is weddings or parties or, you know, festivals or, or corporate events. Um, how, tell me like what the last 30 days have been for you from that perspective. Yeah, it's, it's been, like you said, a lot of cancellations, uh, uh, not even postponements for me. I've had a lot of uh, friends in the industry that have had postponements at least until either the end of the year or next year. Uh, but a lot of my jobs were corporate jobs for, for the beginning of the year. Uh, and so for March and April, uh, the amount of jobs that I lost just disappeared. And so all of this, this uh, income stream that I expected that I was going to get for those months was, was gone. And, uh, you know, it, it's, it's tough and it, it's unfortunate, but it's, you know, that's a part of, of the unknown of owning your own business and of also being, I guess, smart in business itself and having a, a security and having a fallback plan for situations like this. So even though I lost all the business that I would normally have been doing for March and April, uh, I'm not, you know, I'm not in a situation where I'm, you know, eating ramen every day. So, <laughs> um, so that that's at least I am fortunate and and uh, lucky enough uh, in that regard. And I'm also um, you know, happy to be home and, and being with my kids more and helping out around the house uh, right now. So what, what are some of the conversations that are happening within the photographer and creator community um, here in Southern California? Because, you know, um, not everybody is in your position where, you know, there, there are other things, you know, helping to, to make ends meet or, you know, just maintain um, life. Um, I mean, are, are you know, I, I don't know, you know, um, what, what that must feel like, particularly some of our, our younger brothers and sisters out there who were just getting started or, you know, um, mm -hmm. may, may not have had the time to build up a security. Um, what, what are some yeah. of the things that you're hearing and uh, some of the things that 
we can do to try to help them in this time? Yeah, there's a lot of a lot of people. I, I'm in multiple groups of photographers, wedding planners, uh, DJs, videographers that are all just like, what do we do? Um, some of them are lucky enough to have uh, retainers for certain dates that, again, were postponed. Mm-hmm. So they kept the retainers and just transferred that over to the new dates. So that is, is good for them. Um, others were not so lucky. Some were completely canceled because you know, the unknown of when this, this whole thing is going to start lighting, lightening up, um, when they can have, you know, events again of large numbers. And so a lot of people are worried. Uh, they don't know what to do. And so they're looking at other avenues. I know some that have gotten other jobs that have, you know, tried to do what they can just to make ends meet and drive for, you know, Uber Eats or something and just, you know, get a little bit of money uh, somewhere, wherever they can. Uh, I know some people are selling gift certificates, uh, so buying gift certificates for their services for future dates. Um, and that's one way that they're at least getting some income uh, now. But uh, yeah, I, I think it's something that um, you know. I was having a conversation with uh, Jenny Huang, who is you know in, in the restaurant marketing world, and you know. Um, thinking of ways that we can mobilize the community to, you know, help. It's, it's the same umbrella, right? It, it's service business. It's people who, um, and mostly entrepreneurs who have decided that, you know, um, being there for people's precious events, whether it be weddings or corporate gigs or, you know, um, catering or, you know, being the host at a restaurant of these special moments is, is what people is what they wanted to do. And in this time, I think it's, um, challenging and I, I think pre-buying things might be a way that we can really you know um get behind right and i think you know I, I look at my family it's like well you know assuming things don't drastically change between now and october we'll probably want you know or consider getting holiday photos of some sort or you know um, things that i think make us feel even emotionally a little bit like life will get back to normal at some point um so, yeah, I think, you know, if you're listening to this show, if you're watching this show somewhere and you have, you know, a photographer that you used for your family photos last year, or, you know, you had them at your wedding or you had them at your children's birthday parties, um, reach out and then just ask. I mean, you don't even need to ask, but just check in on them. Um, yeah. you know, it's, it's hard to find silver linings in, in this sort of atmosphere. Um, we don't know when it's going to get back to normal, if we ever will even get back to normal. Um, the, the way that we knew the world and, um, you know, people still have to live on and, um, you know, pay our bills and, and feed our kids and, um, you know, do, do right by the community. Um, yeah, I, I haven't really thought of prepaying for, you know, creative services, but I, I think that is um, something that is amazing or just, you know, I, I need a new headshot myself. Right. And it's um, so I figure I figuring out a way to do it digitally. I don't know. Uh, you know, um, get photography coaching or, you know, um, do a zoom class where you teach somebody to how to use different types of, uh, cameras or, you know, photo editing. There's so many different ways. I think that people have already started to get super creative on ways to, um, stay the hell home number one, but also to flip (laughs) on a camera or a microphone and, and, and reach the masses. So, um, you know, I, 
if, if you are a photographer or a wedding DJ or a wedding, I mean, you are an entrepreneur because you have a creative spirit and the will to, you know, work through challenges. So I, I do hope that, you know, we can all get by these challenging times as, uh, as, as least scathed as possible. Um, I don't think unscathed is, is, is a reality, um, particularly here in Southern California where, um, you know, the mayor just said yesterday, you know, May, which is yeah. six to eight weeks from now, which seemed impossible to even two weeks ago. Um, so yeah, if you are a photographer, um, reach out to me, reach out to anybody else. Let's, let's figure out a way to get some sort of movement going. Um, I, I think in the scale of urgency, um, restaurant friends are the most urgent because those are physically closing and those are those seem more real to us because those are um, brick and mortar touch field places that we've been to. Um, but there is an entire uh, economy and industry of folks who, uh, wh whose work is really in the creative field that, um, you know, we should be there for them as well. And um, I don't have all the answers. I will never have all the answers, but if there's a way for us to help shine a light into somebody that needs a little bit of help today or, um, you know, help them open some doors, um, that's what I think this community is really, really there for. And so, um, Nathan, thank you again for coming on to share your story. Um, I, I think given the entire context of who you are and where, you know, what your journey has been and, and where you are now, I think it's, um, you know, there, there's no stereotypical Asian American story, but this is yours. And I think it's, it's, it's awesome. Thank you. I, I want to end the show um, in a way that we end all of our shows. Um, it's the name of the show, The Asian Americans. Uh, my vision for the show was more of a conversation, and, and this one would be a letter um, to us, from us, um, people that look like us, people that have our similar stories. And um, so, yeah, however you want to um, – interpret it we've had some people rap we've had some people uh, pre-write things we've had some you know it's this is a chance to be creative and and as expressive as, as you'd like um so um i'll start the letter and uh, help us close out the show nathan dear asian americans uh i would say be true to yourself and um don't worry about uh, the hardships that will happen because they will happen. Um, unforeseen things will happen. And all you can do is, is be yourself, do what you love. And the fact that, uh, you know, for many years you might think one path is the correct one. And then all of a sudden you change your path in deciding a different, uh, something that you never wanted to do is now something that's on your plate to do first. And, and you never know how that's gonna turn out until you do it. And so whether it be searching for a family or changing careers or, or making a leap towards someone that you, you know, find attractive and you just wanna, you know, make a connection. Honestly, there's there's so many things that you'll never know uh, how they'll be until you try. And so, try. Let's yeah, make the best of it. Thanks, man. Um, 
you know, in thinking about our conversation, uh, you know, it's really, I say funny, but just magical the way the world works. Um, you know, if you hear PK's story of how he started collaboration in the first place, um, it's just either you believe in a higher power or um, some sort of alignment of the stars that that had to happen. You had to be in LA. You had to be volunteering at a show that I happened to be volunteering at. And, you know, many, many years now, um, you know, though probably we've only seen each other face to face a handful of times between then um, to, through, um, you know, the wonderful world of Facebook and then through our community groups, um, it's, it's helped uh, maintain, build and maintain relationships uh, with you. And um, I, I thank you, you know, you, you've captured a magical moment and for my family that um, we, we still, um, you know, smile over constantly. Um, know that you've done that for countless families and countless couples and um, even the grumpy business people. I'm sure, you know, they, they proudly use a Nathan Nowak photo on their LinkedIn profile. And um, I, I think you are just uh, in, in your own way of, of capturing that moment and um, giving that gift to people really been a light to, to me and to a lot of other people. So thank you. Um, I, it's, it's, it's really been fun. Um, you know, I've, I've been looking at your kids for the last 45 minutes and it's, you know, um, you know, I, it's, it's been great. Um, we'll, we'll get through these challenging times together. Um, you know, uh, if, if there are people in your network that, um, photographers or other creatives that, you know, need an extra hand, um, let us know what we'll try to do what we can do, you know, connect the dots and, um, you know, there's a lot going on, but, um, good or bad and challenging times with, Hope to get out of this alive and um you know stronger as a community and then stronger as human beings so nathan thank you so much um thank you jay and uh you know uh, i'm sure my wife will gladly agree uh we'll see you back in the fall for our holiday photos brother yeah right thank you so much awesome yeah. thanks Pat. be safe be healthy thank you you Good. too bye i hope you enjoyed my conversation with nathan that was one of the most challenging interviews that I have done since starting this podcast. And um, it's a delicate topic and a story that only represents a small minority of so many of our own brothers and sisters um, who don't ever get to find their biological family. So I'm looking forward to sharing more of those stories in the coming weeks. Um, if you'd like to share your own adoption journey and your ado own adoption story, please do reach out. Um, if you're ready to share, if you want to share, I, I'd be more than happy to have a conversation with you. And as Nathan and I had talked about, reach out to your creative friends, reach out to your photographer friends, your DJs, your wedding planners, um, so many countless people whose lives and businesses have been transformed by what we're going through right now. Even if you're not able to financially support them, just checking on them to see how they're doing See if there are other ways that you can help set up a website or to make some referrals to other people who can help. We'll get through this together. It's not going to be easy. And when we do, we're going to throw one big-ass party to celebrate with everybody. Thanks again for listening. Please do check us out. Follow us on Instagram. Like us on Facebook at The Eurasian Americans. Don't forget to go back to the Instagram page to enter yourself for a chance to win an amazing K-Barbecue home pack from the brothers of soul sausage company. 
Thanks again for listening. This has been your host, Jerry Wan. And the Asian Americans, stay healthy.